Try that again. Good morning. <laughs> you guys did a great job. I just realized as soon as I said that, I didn't have my mic on. But you want to know something as we get started here. You want to know who I hate? Do you? I mean, Jesus said to love your enemies. There's, it's like a really, there's nobody that I hate in the truest sense of the word, but there's, there's some people that I have a hard time not hating, and maybe you can relate with that. Some people just require a little extra from us. It's not maybe who you think it is or who comes to mind first. It's not a sports team. It's not a fan base, even though some of them are so annoying, right? It's not drivers in traffic anymore. My blood pressure and driving has gone way, way down this year. As I just, all I had to do was quit speeding. And now I'm not so annoyed at people that drive the speed limit. It's amazing. Um, it's not people who, you know, it's not co-workers, praise the Lord. We've got a great team here at Linwood. It's not co-workers. It's not even political. It's not the other side of the aisle. It's not another nation. It's not even criminals. Like when Jesus said don't hate, I, I kind of took that one to heart. But the people that I have the hardest time with would be those that, that hurt my kids on purpose. Like if somebody were to hurt my kids on purpose... Man, that would be tough. Now, we've been blessed. We haven't had to deal with like bullying and some of those types of things. There's just been a few times when somebody, you know, hurt our kids on purpose. And, uh, and it, it illustrated something important to me. It was like, don't try to make peace with me if you hurt one of my kids. Okay, I'm fine. Don't buy me gifts. Don't give me money. Don't sing me songs or praise my holy name. I mean, really, imagine doing those things for me while you are actively hurting my kids. It's absurd, right? We're not going to be okay. <laughs> and yet, if you want to make it right with me, you're going to have to do something for my kids. You're going to have to make it right with them. You're going to have to reconcile with them. Now, obviously, there's some exaggeration involved, but I hope you're seeing my point. And I think this will become clearer as we move through today's message. But I want to further illustrate this by going on the flip side, okay? One of my most poignant memories with our children came in 2014. We had moved to West Virginia in 2013 and hosted an Easter egg hunt at the church. We got there right at the end of March. We had a little Easter egg hunt. Three or 400 people came. It was fun. We decided to go a little bigger the following year. We advertised it more. We put out more energy and so forth. And we ended up with like 800, 900 people. <laughs> we thought maybe 100 more would come. Well, it over more than doubled. And uh, in 2014, Owen would have been about three. And so there was a little pre-K uh, Easter egg hunt. And we're watching the little kids toddle around and pick up the Easter eggs and have fun with that. And somewhere between that Easter egg hunt and the next hunt, Owen suddenly was not accounted for. I thought he was with Heather. Heather thought he was with me. We get to the next location, and we don't know where our three-year-old is. And there's 900 people, and we don't know most of them. And our hearts sank, and our blood pressures rose, and, and suddenly we were on very high alert, and we are looking all over, but it's kind of like the whole, all, this, all the events were structured all around the church, so we were clear on the other side of where we had been. We start looking for Owen. We start asking people, hey, have you seen Owen? Do you know where Owen is? And, you know, the, every second counts in a situation like this, right? And then I head into... Uh, the church to think maybe he had gone into the bathroom or something like that. And there's Jasmine Payne, a 14-year-old student, uh, 
and she's got Owen on her hip. And let me tell you what, I love Jasmine Payne forever, like for the rest of my life. She found one of my lost kids and brought him back to me. So this works on both sides as we illustrate this and as we think about this. And uh, we are so blessed because everywhere we've been, we have had people who have gone out of their way to love our kids, to care for our kids, to make our kids feel welcomed in new churches when we've transitioned from place to place. And those people just endear themselves to you immediately, right? When somebody goes out of their way to do something for one of your kids, you just, you love them forever. And uh, as we begin this new series, I want you to think about the fact that not only were you made in the image of God, so was everybody else. And not only as we are just one week out from Easter and celebrating the resurrection, not only were you the recipient of God's love and Christ's death on the cross for you, so was everybody else. And God's word is clear, that we love him best by loving others. And so as we move into this series titled Kingdom Families, we're going to be spending five weeks on families and family matters. And we're talking about family matters. We're focusing on family matters because families matter. They matter to you. They matter to God. They matter to this world, to this culture. That, that when we talk about being a healthy family of families, that's our vision, to be a healthy family of families. The world wins when families are healthy and strong and children grow up in functional, loving families. And I wrote something in the uh, Digital Bulletin's devotional this week that several people commented on. And I just said, I think we can all agree that when things are good at home, everything else can be bad and we're still okay. And on the flip side, when things are bad at home, everything else can be good and we're still not quite okay. Like families really, really matter. They can be the source of great, great joy and peace, but they can also be a source of tremendous hurt and pain. And they can be a source of guilt or shame or regret. That's not our intent with this series. It's not to bring guilt or shame. There may be some conviction. We always try to remember that difference between conviction, which pushes us towards God and towards his will for our lives and towards the things that we can do to respond in faith, to his word, especially when it identifies an area where we aren't quite getting it right, that's conviction. But con condemnation pushes us away from God. It, it heaps on shame, and we're not here to do that, and that's never our intent. And so our vision to be a healthy family of families should cause us regularly to ask ourselves, how healthy is my family? How healthy are my closest relationships? How healthy is, is my immediate family? If that means marriage, if that means children, if that means parents, brothers, sisters. But when our families are healthy, and not just healthy in the physical sense, clearly we're talking about the next layers of health. We're talking about relational health. We're talking about emotional health. We're talking about spiritual health. And so this series is going to focus on those areas and how can we become healthier also, what should be unique about kingdom families? You know, we just spent a series talking about the kingdom culture. And the culture of the kingdom is different than the culture out there. And the families that are kingdom families should look different than families that aren't kingdom families. 
And so they should be Christ-centered, and they should be prayerful, and they should be humble, and they should be all the things that we talked about in our kingdom culture. But there are some specific things, and so we'll dive deep into what does this look like in a marriage? What does this look like in parenting? What does this look like in your family's mission in this world? Have you thought about that? Have you thought about what is my family's mission, and how can we have maybe a family mission statement, things that we want to be true about us and things that we want to accomplish for God? in this world. And so I want to encourage you to pray over these next four weeks, this week and the next four Sundays. Be praying specifically for families. Make that a prayer focus. What if, what if the, the three or four hundred people that call Linwood Church their home, those that attend in person, those that join us online, what if they made it a, a focus for the next 30 days to pray for families, to pray for your families, to pray for the families of our congregation, to pray for the families in this world? I think that would be powerful and effective. And we're excited that right in the middle of this series, we have a special spring family picnic. Don't you love it when things like this come together, right? And so I know it doesn't feel very springy today, right? We went from 90s to like, it, it, I know that it says it's 30 degrees out there. It does not feel 30 degrees out there. It feels like three degrees out there. But Lord willing, two weeks from today, it will be sunny and warm with about a five-mile-an-hour breeze. I've put my order in. We'll see if we get it. Um, but we'll be able to have a spring family picnic down on the South Lawn. We'll do potluck. You can bring, you know, a dessert, a side, something to share. We'll grill some hamburgers and uh, hot dogs or whatever we come up with. Um, but it'll be a great time. That's going to be part of our spring family picnic. There'll be inflatables, fellowship, food, all those things. Plus, we have a special guest speaker that weekend. Robert Rogers is going to be talking. He's got a tremendous testimony about how God has worked powerfully in his life and in his family. And the following day, our Seniors on the Go is hosting uh, a, an extra presentation with him. And so this little postcard is yours to pick up, to use it to invite a family to come to church with you on the 30th, to hear a special speaker, to have a special lunch together. Um, if you know some seniors or people in the community, this is open, the, the presentation is open uh, to anybody. It'll be in here in the sanctuary at 1 o'clock on Monday. We would love for you to come back for that and to bring some people back with you. Take these with you and pray for this event, pray for this weekend. Uh, use this as a way to invite people to come. There are extras on the tables around the, the sanctuary and out in the lobby, and this will be a great way for you uh, to invite some folks to your church. But today we're going to start this message, with a mes or this series, with a message titled, King's Kids. King's Kids. And so that opening question that I asked and the illustration that I gave clearly applies to God. Like, he cares about his kids. He really cares about his kids. And he cares about how we treat each other as his children. Now, I'm fallen but redeemed. God is not fallen, okay? Yet he has made it crystal clear that if you want to love him, you're going to love his kids. When Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment? He said, I'll, I'll give you the greatest that you're thinking of, and I'll do you one better. I'll give you another that's just like it. It's on par. It's equal. So you love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and in the same breath, you love your neighbor as yourself. And your neighbor is not just that one person that lives next door to you or two if you don't live on a corner. Your neighbor is everyone around you. Jesus told a parable that illustrated this very clearly. In fact, if anybody is more your neighbor than somebody else, it would be somebody who needs a neighbor more 
than those around, right? So when he told the parable of the Good Samaritan, the person that was in need was the one who needed a neighbor. And this matters a lot, loving God by loving his kids. So I want to start in John chapter 1, verse 12, and then we'll go from there. If you have a Bible, please open it up to John 1, 12. You might want to underline something, take a note, circle something. If you need a Bible, we have them spread throughout the sanctuary, and you can grab one from the seat in front of you, open it up to page 1646. Um, if you're joining us online, we will have these on the screen, but we always love for you to have a Bible open in your lap or next to you. So first, I'm sorry, John 1.12, Jesus is sort of in, in his, I'm sorry, John is in his introduction. He's, he's laying out what are going to be the key themes or the most important things, the things that we need to know before we start reading about the things that Jesus did. And so he opens things up and he talks about God coming to us, the word coming to us, Jesus coming to us and living among us. And one of the most important themes that John wants to be established early on is this verse right here. He's talking about how people rejected Jesus, that Jesus came to his own, but his own did not receive him. And then he says this, yet to all who received him, who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. To all who did receive him, who, who welcomed him, who brought him into their midst. To all who did believe in his name, who trusted in him, not just intellectual assent, but trusted in him. To believe means to trust in, to rely upon, to cling to. And he says to anyone who did that, Jew or not, good or not, <laughs> To all who received him, he gave the right to be called children of God. Now, that phrase, children of God, is such an important phrase, and it really was a big deal in this culture, in the culture that John is writing to in, in this first century Jewish culture. People were often identified by their father and what their father's name was. And so in the Gospels, you have Simon Bar-Jonah, Simon, son of Jonah. And people would often introduce themselves as so-and-so, son of so-and-so. So I would be Marcus, son of Carl. What would you be? What would your name be in this culture? You would be identified by your father, by your place in the family, by your family. It was a very familial culture. Family mattered. It was an honor-shame culture. So if you brought honor to the family, that was a good thing. If you brought shame to the family, that was one of the worst things that you could do. Lineage mattered. Over and over when somebody's identified, often they're given a lineage. Jesus gets a whole page of Scripture in Matthew that just traces down his lineage. Lineage mattered. Families mattered at this time because inheritance passed through that. And people didn't move around like they do now. And people didn't go from place to place and spread out like they do now. They stayed. You had, you had a place. We talked about this last week on Easter Sunday when we were talking about being born into a new birth, into a living hope, and into an inheritance that never spoils, perishes, or fades. Inheritance came to a family, and the family was given an allotment of land, and it passed down from generation to generation to generation. So family really mattered. And being called a child of God was huge. If you Google that phrase or you search that phrase in Scripture, you'll find that it's new to the New Testament. 
That God had a chosen people, but it's in the New Testament we start hearing that phrase, child of God or children of God. And it was a really important phrase to John. He talks about it a lot. In fact, there's this outburst in the middle of his first letter, 1 John, when he's writing letters to churches. There's this outburst at the beginning of chapter 3 where he says, How great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. He's talking about receiving the lavish love of God. He's talking about a new identity. He's talking about a new family. And it's open to all. It's available to all. It's open to everyone, to all who are in Christ, to anyone who believed in him, who received him. He gave the right to become children of God. And this becomes really significant because that's who you are if you are in Christ, and that's who you can be. If you come to faith in Jesus Christ, you can become a children of God, a child of God. And it gets even better. That's who everyone you see either is or can be. They either are a child of God or they could be. And how we treat God's children really matters to him. Now, Paul addresses this in several of his letters as well. This wasn't just a unique to Jesus thing. Paul expands upon this quite a bit. In one of his key teachings in Romans chapter 8, when he's talking about living a life that follows the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, that's alive in us as believers, instead of following after our flesh or our sinful nature, he says in chapter 8, verse 12, Therefore, brothers, and by extension, sisters, we have an obligation, but it's not to that sinful nature to live according to it. For if you live according to the sinful nature, you'll die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. So he's basically saying, you know, there's a way that seems right to us. There's a way that is motivated by our flesh or by our sinful nature, the the unredeemed part of us. And we can follow after that or we can follow after the Spirit. We can follow after the part that is redeemed. We can follow after God himself, the Holy Spirit, alive in us. He says, because those who are led by the Spirit of God are Sons of God, our children of God, our sons and daughters of God. For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship, that we become part of the family of God, that we become, he's not just our heavenly father in that sense, but he's literally, we have an inheritance in him. And that's what he talks about next. The spirit testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his suffering, in order that we may also share in his glory. So now he's connecting this to glory. And he's saying, if you believe in Jesus Christ, if you've accepted Jesus Christ, he's given you the right to be called a child of God. And you can follow after the Spirit, which is God himself in you. And when we follow after the Spirit instead of following after the flesh, that brings God glory. And it's the Spirit that causes us to do the things that the Spirit causes us to do, like the love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. The fruit of the Spirit comes from following the Spirit. And when the fruit of the Spirit is visible in our lives and we have identified ourselves as believers in Jesus Christ, then God gets the glory, not us. So you see how this is all sort of working together. And Paul addresses this as well in Galatians chapter 3. He says, you're all sons of God through faith in Jesus. 
For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. Christ is what makes us a child of God. It's not anything else that we can do that makes us a child of God. He's making that really, really clear. And then he says here in this family, in this new family, there is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female. For you're all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. So what Paul is saying here basically is that when we put our faith in Jesus Christ, we become sons and daughters through faith. We've covered that. You then, if I'm a son of God and you're a daughter of God or you're a son of God, then we are brother and sister in Christ. And that's why we use that language in churches. But he goes a step further. And he says basically... There's no Jew or Greek, no slave or free, no male or female. What he's saying is your nationality, your gender, your socioeconomic status is of no value in the family of God. It doesn't elevate you over anybody in the family of God. We're on the same playing field. There's not, okay, well, you know, but I'm a, I'm a free Jewish man, so I must be better off than a non-Jewish slave female. No, he's saying we're all on the same, like... Jesus leveled that playing field. We're all on the same page. And if two people have the same father, then they're brother and sister. They're part of the same family. And he's saying in Christ, we have the same source. We have the same sustainer. That's what Romans chapter 8. I got a little ahead of myself. But Romans chapter 8, if you can flip back there, verse 15, he says, But you receive the spirit of sonship, and by him, the spirit, we cry out, Abba, Father. Now, Abba, Father is one of those, like, strangely redundant phrases because Abba kind of means father, but it's that more intimate relational term like daddy or papa. We say, Papa God, Papa Father, Papa. You're my source. You're my sustainer. That's what the word means in the Hebrew language or the Aramaic language. It means we have the same source. We have the same sustainer. We're all one. We're all united in Christ. We're all heirs according to the promise. That's what Paul is really driving home in these two passages. And so there is a level playing field at the foot of the cross, and we are all brothers and sisters in Christ. And our bottom line today kind of is designed to drive this home point home. We've already kind of said it, but we are all current or potential children of God. Look around. You can say that in the church, in Linwood Wesleyan Church. You can say that at the shopping mall. You can say it at an event at T. Denny uh, Sanford Arena. You can say it anywhere you go. We are all current or potential children of God. Unless you think, well, there's got to be like one, you know, exclusion. Or is there an asterisk on that, Pastor Mark? Well, no. Psalm 24 verse 1 tells us that the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. And it's not just talking about the stuff, in case we get that idea, because the very next phrase says, the world and all who live in it. It's talking about people. It's talking about stuff. It's saying it's all God's. He's sovereign over all of it. And so this means not only is your stuff not actually your stuff, it's all God. Your money, it's not your money. It's God's money. Your house, sorry, not your house. It's God's house. Your car, it's part of the earth. It's part of the world. <laughs> it's all his. It's all his. And you yourself are not your own. Paul drives this point home in 1 Corinthians. You're not your own. What you do with your body matters to God. It's not your body. It's his. And it's the temple of the Holy Spirit. So I'm not my own. But furthermore, 
My wife is not just my wife. She is a daughter of the Most High King. And I had better treat her as such. And I don't always get this right. And my kids are not just my kids that I can do what I want with and to. They're God's kids. They belong to him. How I treat them matters. And so when we talk about family matters, (laughs) it's good to remember your family is not just your family. They're part of God's family. And your wife and your husband and your kids are not just your wife and your husband and your kids. They are God's children. And there's a big shift that takes place when we get this, when we really get this and we decide to live this out. It makes a change in our families. It makes a change in our marriages. It makes a change in our parenting. Because we're all king's kids, and how you treat the king's kids matters. It matters a lot to the king, and it matters a lot to the kids. And treating your family like they're God's family, and treating your children like they're God's children, can be a big shift in how your family dynamics play out, and what it's like to be on the other side of you in that family. Like I said, Conviction versus condemnation. The room feels a little heavy. (laughs) Because I think what we think of first are the times and the ways in which we haven't gotten this right. The times and the ways when we didn't necessarily see our spouse or our kids as beloved children of God in whom Christ dwells and delights. And yet... There is grace and there is forgiveness and there are things that we can do to change the way that we see ourselves and see our families and see our spouses and our children. We can pray a prayer that says, Lord, help me to see them as you see them. Help me to see my spouse as you see my spouse. Help me to see my children as you see my children, even when there's breaches in the relationship, even when there's fractures from the past, even when there's current challenges that we can pray that prayer and we can ask God to bring reconciliation and we can ask God to help us do better do differently we can respond to the conviction and not believe the lies of the enemy and not allow guilt or shame from the past to push us farther away in the wrong direction we can say I'm going to repent of that I'm going to renounce every ill word or thought that I have ever spoken or thought about my family. I'm not going to partner with the ways of the enemy any longer. I'm not going to play his game on his terms. I'm going to play God's game on God's terms. I'm going to speak and believe and think the best about my family and about my spouse and about my children. And I'm going to think and believe the best about them. And I'm going to look to that famous passage in Philippians chapter 4. I didn't have this in my notes, but it just came to mind probably because one of my kids preached about it this last week at LSM um, when they were sharing their senior leadership team messages. And he, he was talking about that passage that says, whatever is pure, whatever is excellent, whatever is righteous, whatever is true, whatever is perfect and lovable and admirable and noble, think about these things. And I've always just applied that verse to God. But I realize that I can do that same thing for my spouse and for my kids. I can think about what is pure and excellent and righteous and true and perfect and lovable and admirable and noble about them. And 
this was the really cool insight that I got from that message was I cannot think things that are not pure, excellent, righteous, true, perfect, lovable, admirable, and noble. I cannot dwell on those thoughts. I cannot indulge those thoughts. I can make a decision that I'm not going to think those things. I'm not going to say those things. I'm going to speak and believe the best about my wife and my children. And once I get that right in my family, in my immediate family, wow, what if we took the next step? What if we believe that this is not just true about those closest to us, but this is true about our church family? This is true about everyone around us. What if we learn to see, eventually, to see everyone as his beloved child? Even that person that really gets under our skin, even that person that maybe has hurt our children intentionally, willfully. What if we could learn to see them as God sees them? What if we could learn to forgive them the way that God in Christ has forgiven us? Man, I think this is how we change the world. I think that this would create ripple effects throughout our world and the world around us. You see, we have to remember that we have an enemy, but that our enemy is not our spouse. And our enemy is not our children, even when they are just on our last nerve and they are twisting that thing as hard as they can, right? They're not our enemy. Paul said, you do not war with flesh and blood, but against the powers and the rulers and the spiritual forces. He's talking about enemy. He's talking about Satan. That's your enemy. And so instead of fighting with each other, if we get on the same path and say, okay, we're not going to do this anymore. We're going to fight the real enemy together. And we're going to recognize we have an enemy who hates us. He hates everything about us. He hates you. He hates your spouse. He hates your kids. Spiritual attacks, spiritual battle is real, but don't partner with his ways. Don't wage war as the world wages war. Don't wage war as your enemy wages war, but wage war with the word of God and with prayer. And with worship, follow the Spirit, partner with the Spirit, not with the enemy. So as the uh, worship team comes up and, and we talk about this, I want you to think about this in concentric circles. And I don't want you to try to do everything all at once. Because whenever I've tried to do everything all at once, it's really hard. <laughs> and I quit pretty fast. I want you to think about concentric circles. If you're married, I want you to start with your marriage relationship. Are you seeing that person as God sees that person? Are you recognizing that person as a child of God? If you have children, go to children next. If you are a child and you're not married but you have parents, start with your parents. Start with those closest relationships and then start moving out and pray these prayers and ask God to remind you that you are a beloved child of God in whom Christ dwells and that everyone you know, starting with those closest to you, our current or potential children of God. As we move out from that, I want you to think about, as you get these things right, or maybe you're, you're like, you, me and my wife, we're good. Me and my spouse, we're good. Me and my husband, we're good. Okay, me and my kids, we're good. Okay, how do I go from there? Because there's a lot of healthy relationships. There's a lot of healthy families. There's a lot of healthy marriages. So I don't just camp out on the negative. How do you go from there? Do you realize there are vulnerable people in our community that desperately need a healthy family to come alongside them and help them? And we're going to be partnering with churches all across this community in just a few weeks for this No More Orphans event. 
And there's a sign up on the screen there. I want you to save the date for May 7th, 2023 at 5 p.m. at Ransom Church's downtown campus. They're going to be hosting. We're partnering with churches all across the community, about a dozen churches. This is really, really cool. Churches coming together from all different denominations and all parts of the community to, to try to bless orphans. And those that are ministering to orphans, those who are providing foster care, those who are providing adoption, those who are coming alongside through harbor families or through different things. Not everybody can adopt, not everybody can foster, but everybody can do something. And so if you feel like maybe there's something for you to do to help those most vulnerable young children who don't have a healthy family around them, then this is going to be, and I just love it when things like this dovetail together. As we had this series planned for this slot after Easter, long before there was a No More Orphans event on the last Sunday of this series, or second to last, however it works out. So I want you to be a part of that, if you can be a part of that. Maybe it's more the needy. You just think about, man, there's so many needs in our community, and, and so I'm blessed, and my family's been blessed, and how can we help bless others? How can we come alongside others and provide support? And we have all kinds of community agencies. There are those that we partner with directly, like the Union Gospel Mission and the St. Francis House and Lunch is Served, the Community Outreach, Center of Hope. There's information even on our missions map out there of the partnerships that we have, and you can partner with them, and you can come alongside them, but don't feel limited to the ones that we work with. If there's an area that's right up your alley, there's an area that you're passionate about, find your own. Pick one of ours or find your own. We have some special serve days, but what I love to hear is when I'm serving with somebody, and, oh yeah, she's down here all the time, or oh yeah, he comes on, on a regular basis and helps serve and helps pack, and I'm like, yes, that's, that's, that's awesome that there are people that are serving in our community, serving those who are needy. And if you're doing all that, then there's one last group that you may need to focus on as we seek to apply this truth to our lives. And that's even your enemies. What if we learn to see our enemies as current or potential children of God? What if we learn to pray for them and say, God, help me to see them as you see them? Because right now, all I can see is this. All I can see is the offense. All I can see is what they did to me or to my spouse or to my kids. But what if we could learn to see them as different? What if we could learn to see them as God sees them? I think the change, I think the change would be immediate and would be powerful in our world. And so as we make application of this to our lives, I just pray you take a step of faith. Seek to be reconciled. Seek to extend forgiveness. Seek to just start praying for somebody, praying to see them as God sees them. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you for today, and thank you for your word. Thank you for your presence in our lives. Thank you for the truth that every single person who is hearing this prayer is or could be a child of God. Thank you for your sacrifice on the cross that opened the way for us to become children of God. Thank you for the invitation that if we will receive you into our lives, if we will believe in you, rely upon, cling to, and trust in you and you alone for our salvation, you will not only forgive us, you will not only grant us salvation, you will not only usher us into an eternity with you in heaven forever, but you also give us the right to become children of God, to have a new heavenly father, to have a new big brother, to have new brothers and sisters all around the world, to have a new identity, a new inheritance to look forward to. 
Oh, be with us as we respond in faith to you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.